How many people like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? How many people do not like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? That's my sister-in-law right there, girl. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I don't like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because I'm weird and I do not like peanut butter. I don't know. I don't know why anybody would take something as awesome and as perfect as a, as a peanut and mash it into a paste. I just don't understand that. When peanuts are just, these are rhetorical questions that you should not be answering out loud right now. I'm just pointing that out. Well, we have come to our last Sunday in our 40 days of prayer. Now, those of you who have been following along with the devotionals, you actually did your devotional this week leading into this message, which was a little different. And for those of you, if you haven't followed along with all the devotionals, or maybe you missed one or two of the weeks, they're all on the Welcome Center, on the table out there. You can take them home, and uh, you can catch up that way as well. So, we've talked about different aspects of prayer and the importance of prayer over the last uh, six uh, weeks. First, we talked about holiness, the holiness of God, and how understanding God's holiness brings us to a point of humility, a point of worship, and a commitment to advancing His name and His kingdom. Then we talked about repentance and the importance of repentance and the necessity of examining our hearts, our lives, and our actions, and making sure they line up with who we are in Jesus Christ. Then we talked about where our power and our strength come from and how we need to draw strength from Christ and the Holy Spirit and how we need to live an empowered life. After that, we talked about evangelism and praying for those on the front lines, but also praying for ourselves so that we would have opportunities to communicate God's truth to the lost. And the last time, we talked about the marginalized and the forgotten and the disregarded people and how we need to pray for them and how we need to minister to them. Now today, we're going to talk about missions. We're going to talk about alliance missions. The Christian Missionary Alliance is the denomination we belong to. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, missions within the Christian Missionary Alliance and talk about missions in general as well. So, uh, as I said, I've entitled my message PB&J, but PB&J really doesn't stand for peanut butter and jelly. It actually stands for Paul... Barnabas and Jesus. Ah, everybody's going, ah, yeah, okay. Good. Yeah, kind of tricky there, huh? So if you were thinking it was going to be about sandwiches today, you might be slightly disappointed. Okay, here we go. You guys are a little keyed up this morning, aren't you? I know. Well, we're... I'm going to talk a little bit about Paul and Barnabas. And there are some days I wonder why God called me to do this. But We're going to talk about Paul and Barnabas. And they were on their first missionary journey. And they were sent from the church at Antioch to people who didn't have access to the gospel at that time. They were at Iconium where a great number believed and opposition arose with a plot to mistreat and stone them. But they fled to Lystra and Derbe but continued to preach the good news. And at Lystra, a crippled man was healed, and, and the people thought the gods were among them, and some wanted to sacrifice to them, but opposition developed, and Paul wound up being stoned and left for dead. And then he got up and walked back to the city. <clears throat> Our Alliance International workers, like Paul and Barnabas, have seen success, 
but many have also been threatened and had difficulties too. They felt beaten up or low because hearers refused to believe. They haven't, they haven't been stoned, but they've had their fair share of hardships and frustration. I remember years ago talking to uh, a couple that was serving as uh, missionaries in an area of the Philippines, and they had been there for four years, and they had come home for, the, for their first furlough. And I asked the husband, I said, so how many have you seen come to Christ in your first four years? He said, one. And I thought, wow, that's brutal. That's just brutal. Now, they were in an area that was heavily Muslim and a very, very hard ground to work. Praise God today, uh, um, many years later, that is an area that has multiple, multiple Christian churches, and God is doing great things. But it was a tough start. You see, just as Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch from where they'd been sent for their home assignment, they while they were there, they gathered the church together to report all that God had done. Our alliance workers do the same thing with us. They, they, they come home and they share good news with us. and uh, They have incredible stories to recount. Many of them are stories that are unfinished. So we're going to talk a little bit about unfinished stories first. And um, I want to start with talking about this idea of inviting God. And there's a simple outline in your uh, bulletin if you'd like to follow along as we go. Uh, this morning. See, friends, we invite God into our own unfinished spiritual journeys when we talk about being involved in missions. When we share with one another as believers in Christ, we, we are actually showing others what God is doing. We're, we're not technically inviting God, but we are shining the light on God. We are allowing him to mold us into his son's likeness and to help us see the world through his eyes. The Antioch church was a mature enough church to have heard the Spirit's voice when they sent out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. In Acts chapter 13, which is where we're going we're gonna to spend most of our time in Acts 15 today, but in Acts 13, verse 1 and 2, it says, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul, who is Paul, for the special work I have for them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. But the church's journey to understanding the gospel was unfinished. The matter of law and grace was one that God was still working out within their midst. So we go to chapter 15, and it says this. In 1 and 2, it says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the Christians that unless you keep the ancient Jewish custom of circumcision taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas, disagreeing with them, argued forcefully and at length. Finally, Paul and Barnabas were sent to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of the local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. You see, Paul and Barnabas in their home church of Antioch, the same church that sent them off to do missionary work, that church was still struggling with some issues like this idea right here. You see, Paul and Barnabas argued that salvation in Jesus is God's free gift, and it's not dependent on works at all. Of course, we know they were right. Salvation by grace revealed the preciousness and the value of all people to God. Because, friends, God does not discriminate, does he? And neither should we. 
When we think about people groups, and we think about those who don't know Jesus, we can say, wow, they're terribly lost. But God loves them just the same. And they need to hear the good news of the gospel. When Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to meet with the, with the apostles, in this conversation, Peter said this, as they were talking about this, Peter said, he, referring to, to uh, God, made no distinction between us and them, for he also cleansed their hearts through faith. Why are you now questioning God's way by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? What is he saying? Peter is saying, now wait a minute. If we go throughout the Old Testament, we see that the ability of Israel to keep the law was a futile effort, wasn't it? Why would we dump some of that stuff on new believers and on Gentiles? You see, you can't discriminate against groups and say, well, you haven't had the same journey we have. Because it actually makes, diff it makes it more difficult for people to come to Jesus. And we can't have that mentality. You see, we could have this mentality of, well, you don't deserve to be a Christian because you haven't gone through the same journey that others have. You see, this was one of the problems Israel had. Israel was God's chosen people, and they knew that, and they were <clears throat> God's chosen people. You know us, we're Israel. God's chosen people, perhaps you've heard of us. How could these other people come to God? They're not God's chosen people. It's that kind of an attitude that can actually make it very difficult for people to come to Christ. I had this experience when I was in Wisconsin. Not difficulty in coming to Christ, but difficulty in becoming a Packers fan. And I had this difficulty, and you laugh, but it's true. Sorry for you Packers fans out there and anybody in Wisconsin watching this morning, but Packers fans are so arrogant. I couldn't take it. I couldn't become a Packers fan. They were so snotty about it, I couldn't even bring myself to root for their team. It's the truth. It's the truth. And that was my experience. But we don't want the same thing to happen when it comes to people coming to know Jesus, do we? Because after all, Jesus is more important than football. I should get a big amen, but okay. <laughs> Look what it says a little later in this meeting in Jerusalem. Now, this is James speaking, and who was head of, of the ministry in Jerusalem. And he says this. He says, and so my judgment is that we should stop troubling the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, we should not have different rules for different people. Everyone is either saved by grace or not saved at all. No, is none, is, bleh, none of them are better or worse. We are all the same in Jesus Christ. Peter said this. He said, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the special favor of the Lord Jesus. We are all saved by the grace of God. Jew or Gentile, no matter where you are from, we are all saved by the grace of God. I am saved by the grace of God. You are saved by the grace of God. The people who are being ministered to in other countries around the world are being saved by the grace of God. So, let's talk about being a part of the story, okay? God invites us into the unfinished stories of individuals, communities, and peoples whom he loves, he invites us to become a part of their story. And this invitation propels us to pray and to serve or maybe to go and to support those who have been called to take the gospel to 
other regions. At this meeting, Peter starts to tell a story. Look what it says in verse 7 at this meeting. This is Peter talking again. He says, at this meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. And what Peter is doing is Peter starts to tell the story about Cornelius and his family. And you can find that in Acts chapter uh, 10 and 11, if you want to read about that story. And you see, stories matter. The stories matter a lot. They matter to God. They matter to God's people. When we think about reaching the lost for the kingdom, stories are huge. I don't know about you, but I love to hear stories about, about people coming to know Christ. There was a pastor who's no longer here in St. Peter who I met at the first time I got together with all the other pastors in St. Peter, and we meet periodically. Right now with COVID, it's not so much. But he made a huge impression on me because after our meeting, we left the church we were meeting at, and he and I were walking back together to our vehicles, and he said, Greg. And I said, what? He said, tell me your story. How did you come to know Jesus? And I thought, Wow. And you know what was really sad? After I left him that day, I thought, when's the last time somebody asked me that? Do you know everybody's story here? Of course, you probably don't. But we all have amazing stories of God's grace. And he and I stood in that parking lot for half an hour as I shared with him my story of coming to Jesus. And, and he had questions and he had all these other things. And then, of course, I asked him, all right, I would like to hear your story too. Stories are awesome. Stories are wonderful. And they matter to God. And they matter to God's people. And so many stories that we tell are unfinished. I can tell you my story of how I've come to Christ, but you know what? My story's not done yet. My story's not done because who knows what God has for me next. But we're all unfinished stories. We are all unfinished stories. I had a, a conversation on the phone this week with a very good friend who was sharing that they're, they're in their late years and they're like, I, I'm, I'm still hanging around. And I said, that's because God's not done with you yet. Their story isn't finished. Paul and Barnabas had stories. Our international workers in the Alliance have stories. You and I have stories. And as I said, many of these stories, if not all of them, are unfinished. Paul and Barnabas told stories of their missionary journey. In Acts chapter 14, it says this, Upon arriving in Antioch, when they came back from their missionary journey, they called the church together and reported about their trip, telling all that God had done and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. Then look what it says in chapter 15. This is right after they sent Paul and Barnabas and some others to Jerusalem for this meeting. The church sent the delegates to, delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. And they told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. They were taking time to tell the other churches along their way what God was doing. They told stories about people whose lives were transformed. People like Sergius Paulus, the proconsul in Cyprus, who became a new believer. 
or Elymas, who was an evil sorcerer who God made blind to get his attention. The Jews of the synagogue at Pisidian, Antioch, who believed Jesus. Gentiles from all over Pisidian, Pisidia and Iconium who came to know Christ. There were other Jews who, ang- who were angered and there were opponents of Paul too. A formerly lame man in, in Lystra miraculously healed along with the witnesses of his healing and their reaction. Former Zeus and Hermes worshipers in Lystra. A large number of disciples in Derby. You can read all about this in Acts chapter 13 and 14. In Acts chapter 14, we're told that the people needed Paul and Barnabas to strengthen them and to encourage them. Look what it says in verse 21. It says, After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned again to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church and prayed for them with fasting, turning them over to the care of the Lord in whom they had come to trust. They needed assurances because they were going to go through hardships and they needed elders to help lead them. Their faith was new and their journeys were unfinished. Later, Paul expresses the desire to return again to these people and see how their journeys were going. Look what it says in 15, and this is after they had the big meeting in Jerusalem. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return to each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are getting along. This example shows and displays the heart of any good missionary towards the journey of the people they serve. Because here's the interesting thing. When you share Christ with someone and you help to lead someone to Christ, God places that burden on you. And it's not a hard burden, but it's a joyous burden where you have the opportunity to continue to help them to grow in the relationship. With the believers that Paul and Barnabas had gone to, they had experienced rebirth and growth, but their stories were still unfinished. Paul and Barnabas continued to share stories of their journey to the joy of the churches they shared them with. And the reaction of these churches shows how the telling of these stories resulted in further motivation to do missions. The sending, the sacrificing, and supporting of those sent and the engagement of our church with missions does result in fruit. When we hear those stories, And we are inspired to support those who have served around the world. Over the years, those of you who have been part of this church a long time, we've heard from so many who have served around the world, helping to lead other people to Jesus. So many. I I could try to name them all, but I know I wouldn't get through them all. So let me tell you a story this morning. A story that'll make, hopefully, make us glad and inspire us. Let's talk about joining God. Friends, we join God in his unfinished mission, the Great Commission, until all have had the opportunity to hear and respond to his invitation. In Acts chapter 14, again, it says, Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported about their trip, telling all that God had done and how he opened the door of faith for the Gentiles too. And here's the interesting thing, is that word Gentiles. 
Now, we always understand that word means those who weren't Jewish. Well, and that's a big part of it. But the word in, in Greek for Gentiles there is the word ethnos. That's where we get the word, word ethnic from, right? And it literally means people group. And that's an interesting thing because you can't just talk about nations and you can't just talk about races when you're talking about people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You have to talk about people groups because when you get into places in Africa, South America, in the Middle East, you have people groups, you have tribes, you have these small, isolated groups of people who are different in culture, different in language, different in everything that they do. By conservative counts, today there are over 4,000 people groups who have yet to hear the message of the gospel. Did you hear what I said? 4,000 people groups in the world today who still have yet to hear the message of the gospel. Look what it says in Matthew 24. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then finally, the end will come. We have this opportunity to spread the good news of Jesus Christ so that all people groups can hear the truth. In Revelation chapter 7, it says this, is after, I saw, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white, held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God on the throne and from the Lamb. Oh, that's going to be awesome, isn't it? That's going to be awesome. You see, friends, when we look at these verses, we see that this open door is God's unfinished mission. The question isn't for us, uh, will these people come through the door? The, re- the question is rather, will we follow God through his open door to reach these people? You see, friends, God is doing this. God is doing an amazing work around the world. He is calling people to work with him, to serve with him. Our missionaries are following him through that door. And friends, we all need to play a part in that. And we all need to play a role in that. I'm going to talk about that more in just a few minutes. But I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to sing a couple more songs. And then we're going to talk about how we can be a part of that. Would you stand with us, please, as we continue to worship? When I think of this song, Blessed Assurance, and I think about that idea that we are all saved by the same grace. And we all have that same assurance because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the chorus it says, this is my story. This is my song. This, as believers in Jesus, is a story that we all have in common. There's different parts to it, maybe even some different characters along the way. But our story is all the same.
and that we have had the privilege of experiencing the grace of God. Blessed
stand in awe of you this day. And we declare that you are the one who leads us. You are the one who guides us. And we declare the words of this song that we will build our lives upon you. You are our foundation, our, our rock, our cornerstone, our anchor. You are the one who guides, leads us, protects us, loves us, blesses us. And you are the one who all of our hope is in. Lord, what a privilege it is to know you as Savior and Lord. What a privilege it is to worship you and to have our eyes and our hearts open to your truth, Lord. To see a glimpse of your majesty. To see a glimpse of your mightiness. And to know you. To know you and have a relationship with you. Lord, that's overwhelming. Lord, I pray that I would never take that for granted. I pray that for all of us. And I pray that we would handle this precious gift in a way that is deserving and honors you and glorifies you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I said to you that God is, is doing this. God is working around the world. God is, is spreading the message of his gospel to others. And I said we all need to play a part in that. Well, how do we play a part? Well, there are many different ways we can play a part. One of the ways we play a part is moms and dads. Don't hold your children back. Do you know that the biggest cause of people who feel called to the missions field don't go to the missions field is their parents? That's really rough, but it's true. It's hard to let our kids go. You know, my wife and I talked about that. What would we do if, if one of our children, and of course, that can still happen, you know, if God calls our kids to the missions field. Ah, you can go, but leave the grandkids here. I mean, that doesn't work, does it? That's a challenge, isn't it? But it's a huge sacrifice as well. We can pray. You know, we've been in these 40 days of prayer. We can pray for our missionaries. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, there are resources where we can learn what's going on in those countries. You can get on their email lists. The, uh, the Russes, Tony and Rainey, have moved to uh, Toulouse. That's big news. I've been praying for them and that transition and all those things. So as we hear about what our missionaries and our friends are doing, that we can pray for them and we can pray for them intelligently. Another way is something that, and for those of you who are new to the Alliance, this may be a new for you to understand. I shared with you a few weeks ago the Christian Missionary Alliance per capita has more missionaries than any other denomination in the world because 
Our founder, A.B. Simpson, believed in reaching the lost around the world for Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing is our missionaries never have to raise their own money to serve as missionaries. Now, it is not easy to become a missionary in the CMA. Our missionaries are put through very grueling tests and interviews and everything. When a missionary goes from the CMA, I can guarantee they are top shelf. They are top shelf. I've had the privilege of, of working with a, a missionary couple that was going to the missions field. And when they have their final interview with people from the national office, they're allowed to bring one person who they refer to as their advocate. And they asked me to be their advocate. What a privilege that was. To sit in that meeting and to listen to the questions that they were being asked and how they were answering them. And then when they were asked to leave the room, I got to stay and listen to them talk about them and them to ask me, okay, is this what we're seeing? Are we seeing the things that we think we're seeing in them? And I had the opportunity to advocate for them. What a neat privilege that was. That was Scott and Katie Wiggins, by the way. But our missionaries never have to raise their own money. They never have to worry about support raising. When they're on the field, 100% of their work is about reaching the lost for the kingdom. They're supported through us. They're supported through the denomination, through something that's called the Great Commission Fund. And the Great Commission Fund is this massive pool of money that goes and supports all of our missionaries around the world. And it's a great thing to be a part of. We as a church, and those of you who have been part of our church for many years, know that we've supported our missionaries through the GCF. We're just one small link in the chain of all the churches that support our missionaries around the world. And the way we do it is we do it through something called a faith promise. And this is a faith promise, uh, an agreement between you and God as to what you can give to help our missionaries. Now we call it a faith promise because of two reasons. One, it's a promise that this is what you'll be, we'll be able to give over this year. Normally we do this in the fall, but we didn't have a, a fall missions conference because of, well, you know. But it's called a faith promise because it's not a thing where you look at your budget and go, okay, well, we can afford this much every month. That's what we'll give. It's simply going to God in prayer and saying, God, what would you like me to give? And we call it a faith promise because we're trusting that God will provide what we feel God is calling us to give. It's a faith promise. And what we do with these is I take all of these and after you fill them out and I put them on the bulletin board so everybody can know. No, that's not true. I never see these. I never see these. Only our, our church treasurer sees them and they don't look that hard. But we send this information to the national office so that they know what monies are coming in so that they can create a budget for our missionaries around the world. Very little of this money goes to administration almost all of it goes to our missionaries. And that's an awesome thing, too. It's not like UNICEF or some of the other organizations where 80% of it is administration. I believe it's 10% is administration. 90% gets to those in the field. So I would ask you just to prayerfully consider what you might give. And what we'll do is we'll just collect these over the next few weeks. When you fill one out, um, and I don't want anybody to fill one out today, I want you to take it home and pray. And over the coming weeks, you can drop it in the offering plate. And kids and families, this is a great thing to do together. I have some of these for the kids, too, which I forgot to put out on the table, but I have them in my office. 
um, that they can give to the Great Commission Fund as well. If you have questions about this, see me after church, and I'd be happy to share some thoughts with you. As I said, doing our part. What a privilege it is to think that we can be a part of what God wants to finish. Joining an Alliance Missions efforts means that we are able to participate in new and unfinished stories around the world. The goal of our church is to see the Great Commission carried out. And by supporting our Alliance endeavors, we are a part of things that we may not be fully aware of. For instance, a couple figures here. There are roughly 730 Alliance International workers serving in over 60 countries right now. 82% of those workers are in locations where there is limited to no gospel access, which means that 82% of those international workers in the Alliance are in areas where less than 2% of those people are Christian. That's the front lines, big time. Our international workers focus on serving communities. There's, there's four different aspects, which I'll talk, to about, I'll talk about in a minute. But they model and they demonstrate Christ's compassion through disaster relief, community development, community development medical and educational services, business initiatives, which open doors to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And they also focus on multiplying church networks. They help establish and develop networks of churches. Once established, these churches sustain and multiply holistically in their communities and join in the mission to advance the gospel. One of the cool things about the CMA is our denomination is much bigger outside of the United States than it is inside of the United States. They focus on developing people. They invest in seeing the gospel transform the whole person. And in turn, these men and women with a passion for Jesus show and share the gospel in their neighborhoods and become leaders in their own communities and church networks. You see, there are many countries that the Alliance has been in that isn't in anymore. Why? Because those nations are self-sustaining. So we redistribute our uh, missionaries into other countries. Wow. It's really really cool. Alliance International Workers serve in one of four different ministry structures. The first one is called CAMA, which stands for Compassion and, oh my gosh, Compassion and Ministry Associates. They respond to disasters globally, and they partner with local communities to restore communities and alleviate poverty. Uh, if there's a tsunami that hits, CAMA services is there. If there are other disasters around the world, Cama services shows up. The second is marketplace ministries. They facilitate marketplace, marketplace professionals who bring their expertise to a community to disciple those around them. They come as workers to do something specific. Maybe they're engineers. Maybe they have other backgrounds. Maybe they're doc doctors who are ministering, but at the same time sharing the good news of Jesus. There's another group that's called Access. These proclaim the gospel in communities in part of the least reached people groups of the world. These are individuals who are in countries undercover, as it were. The fourth is Envision, 
which we're going to hear from Rick in a couple weeks. Envision identifies and develops missional leaders through short-term missions experiences and innovative ministry strategies. See, there was all kinds of these new ideas and these new approaches to some ministries, and the Alliance was going, what do we got to do with this stuff? So they put it all into a group, and they called it Envision. And Envision works in our country like it's working up in the Twin Cities and works internationally in places like France, where, where the Russes are serving as well. The U.S. Alliance is part of the Alliance World Fellowship that represents over 6 million members speaking 180 different languages over 22,000 churches. Through Alliance Worldwide Ministries, every four minutes, someone prays to receive Christ. Every hour, three patients receive physical and spiritual care through the Alliance Medical Ministries. Every day, through 43 radio broadcasts around the world, people without a gospel witness hear the good news. Every week, over 3,500 new believers are baptized. Every month, 250 new groups or churches join the Alliance in our worldwide family. Every year, 10,000 students are trained and equipped for ministry through more than 125 Alliance theological schools. So when we get focused on Alliance missions, we realize this is something big that God is doing that you may not even be aware of. I hope you are now. And the question the Lord asks after we know this, he asks a simple question, and this question is this, will you join me? And today, perhaps he whispers different versions of, question, of this question to each of us. Will you do what I ask and, enjoy, and join me in finishing my mission? Will you give sacrificially for the mission I'm pursuing? Will you be a prayer warrior for peoples still lacking access to the gospel? Will you minister to those in your community for whom it's been made difficult to turn to God? Are you willing to serve people of the world still living without access to the good news? Today, will you let God do unfinished work in your heart and stir up your readiness to join him in his unfinished missions around the world? We all have a part to play. That's called the body of Christ, friends. We are not all called to be missionaries. We're not all called to be pastors. When Bethann and I felt God calling us into ministry, we seriously asked the question, God, do you want us to be missionaries? And to tell you the truth, I really would have liked to have been a missionary. But we really prayed about it. And God kept saying, nope, that's not where we want you. That's not where I want you. So we've said, okay. Okay. So uh, it'll be, not that we're settling for this. That's not what I mean at all. <laughs> But we are, we are joyous to be where God has placed us. But we all have a part to play. Ask yourselves, what part does God want you to play? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we thank you for all those who are serving you around the world. And we hear these, these numbers and statistics about these people coming to Christ and what you're doing through the Alliance. And we just say, God, you are awesome. And we praise you that we get to be a part of that. Please guide our hearts as to what role each of us can play in what the Alliance is doing. We thank you for a wonderful time of being in your presence today. And as we leave today, we ask that you would send us out in the strong name of Jesus. 
empowered by your Holy Spirit, carrying the good news of the gospel to all that we meet. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed day.